Before I begin, would you please pray with me? Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate this night and in whose name we pray. Amen. Children have a complicated relationship with Santa Claus. <laughs> Old Saint Nick is, on the one hand, an awfully nice guy. He's jolly, he's kind, he spends his days all year long making toys for children in his vast industrial factories in the frozen north that put Amazon's largest distribution centers to shame. But Santa is also, for some, a man to be feared because he alone decides where all of those toys go and to whom. He's got a list and he's checking it twice and he is watching, always watching to determine who's been naughty and who's been nice. Santa Claus employs a vast army of spies, notably the adorable elf on the shelf who watches children and reports back to the North Pole every night. My son, Ethan, wants to get a second elf next year because he doesn't want to share the one that we have with his little brother. You know, sharing is kind of what Christmas is all about. I gently reminded him. Great story, Dad. He replied sarcastically, apparently oblivious to the judging eyes of the elf <laughs> on the nearby shelf. In one of her collected works, the writer Annie Dillard shares a story from her childhood about a kindly neighbor dressed as Santa Claus who arrived on her family's doorstep one Christmas Eve just as they were setting out cookies and carrots for their late-night visitor. Little Annie ran upstairs to her bedroom and locked the door. Like everyone in his right mind, she writes, I feared Santa Claus, thinking he was God. I knew right from wrong, but had barely tested the possibility of shaping my own behavior, and then only from fear and not yet from love. Santa Claus was an old man who you never saw, but who nevertheless saw you. He knew when you'd been bad or good. He knew. And I had been very bad. Her parents begged and pleaded, but nothing on heaven or earth could make her come downstairs. Santa Claus stood in the doorway, monstrous and bright, Diller describes the scene, ringing a loud bell and repeating, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! I never came downstairs. I don't know who ate the cookies. <laughs> now Dillard understands the transactional relationship that kids have with Santa. They love him because he brings them toys, but they fear him because he might decide not to if they aren't good enough. 
This is perhaps a Faustian bargain, the exchange of one's moral freedom for a sackful of baubles and trinkets. Now, I admit that may be a little cynical, but the toys, the toys are what define the relationship. And I have to wonder if some of our other relationships are a little like that too. Transactional, defined more by the benefits that we exchange than the love that we freely share. My kids decided that they didn't want to sit on Santa's lap this year. They, they craned their necks to see him from a distance at the shopping mall, curiosity written on their faces, but they didn't want to get too close. The prospect made them anxious, and they preferred to send written letters to Santa rather than have a conversation with him. Now, little Levi's Christmas list, well, it was pretty weird. Being only four years old, he can't write, so he dictated it to his mother. Now, it included the sort of things you would expect uh, from a kid his age, you know, heroic action figures, various play sets, but it also included some surprising entries. Now, some of these were adorable, like a jacket with the words, I love mom and dad, written on the back. <laughs> More puzzling was his request for comfy pillows, <laughs> as if he were a, a prisoner trying to negotiate better accommodations. But the, we the weirdest and most troubling thing on the list was simply, and I quote, a plastic head. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it either. I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, there was one other thing. Uh, now, this kid loves to play dress up, whether it's a fireman or a policeman or a superhero, he just loves to dress up in costumes. And uh, he wants a mask to complement one of his Star Wars costumes, specifically the infamous Mandalorian bounty hunter known as Boba Fett. Now, we got the costume, the Boba Fett costume, at a, a local Goodwill store a couple of months ago, uh, but it's missing the character's iconic mask. So he wants the mask for Christmas, so we can wear this costume. Well, as it turns out, this thing is harder to find than you might Imagine, you can get a $300 replica for the discerning collector, but a simple plastic mask for a kid to wear, it's, it's hard to come by. So I ended up ordering one online, and uh, this is what I got when I opened the package. <laughs> when I saw it for the first time, I could only think of the lyrics from that old Neil Young song, they give you this, but you paid for that. <laughs> I mean, what is this? This is a piece of cardboard with a, with a face printed on it and some, some string taped, taped to the back. <laughs> Someone apparently cut it out with a pair of scissors. I could have made this at Kinko's. I paid $7 for this. <laughs> and you think it looks bad now. Do I look like the most 
fearsome bounty hunter in the galaxy? No, I look like an idiot. This thing is trash. I can't give this to my kid. Man. When you buy as many toys as I do, you can't help but notice how poorly made most of them are. How cheap it all is. We, we bought some Toy Story action figures uh, from the Disney store a few months ago, and Buzz Lightyear's arm just broke off while we were trying to take it out of the box. We get ripped off a lot these days. And I want to be serious here for a moment, because it's not just about stuff. I mean, products are cheap, you know, manufactured at minimal cost and sold for maximum profit. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Workers barter their lives for full-time jobs that don't cover their bills. Children trade their innocence for anxiety disorders and depression. Nature's treasures and resources are ravaged and plundered for short-term gain. Politics are bought and sold by wealthy donors and corporations. Life is paid for with a broken healthcare system. We trade things of real value for short-term gain and second-rate quality, and we get ripped off. These are the transactions, the raw deals, the Faustian bargains, the quid pro quo that governs our world and much of our lives. They give you this, but you paid for that. To quote another songwriter, Leonard Cohen once sang of Jesus, as he died to make things holy, let us die to make things cheap. Friends, too often we trade what is good and beautiful for cheap baubles and trinkets. But Jesus, even as an infant, teaches us a different way. In Christ, God pours love out into the world abundantly, withholding nothing and expecting nothing in return. Contrary to Annie Dillard's childhood fears, Santa is not God. He's a nice guy, but he's not God. God's grace, God's gifts are not dependent on whether we're naughty or nice. God does not withhold love until we can afford it or prove that we're worthy of it. It's ours. It has always been. It always will be. And maybe we shouldn't withhold it from others either. Because we do, don't we? Our relationships are conditional, and that's to be expected, but they can also be transactional. Parents might withhold their love until their kids meet their expectations. People might withhold love from their parents until they apologize for something that happened decades ago. We withhold love from our friends and relatives until they agree with our political ideology. But what if the relationship is more valuable than whatever it is we're holding out for or hoping to gain? What if the relationship is more valuable than the things that come between us? 
The white elephant gift exchange is a good bit of fun. And it's an annual holiday tradition among my wife's family. They have another name for it, which is not entirely church appropriate, so we'll just call it the white elephant gift exchange. Now, if you haven't done this before, it's basically a, a grab bag activity with an edge. You take turns opening presents blindly, and then whoever goes next can either choose to open a new present or steal yours. It's all good fun because the presents themselves are inexpensive and largely useless. Cheap infomercial products, bargain bin refuse, and dollar store trinkets. Everyone has a good laugh when your Uncle Lenny opens up a Chia Pet and your cousin Keith gets a CD of Barry Manilow's Christmas album. The whole business only works, though, because no one is really attached to any of this stuff. But every so often, someone throws something halfway decent into the mix. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It could be a nice pair of headphones, maybe an expensive bottle of wine. The atmosphere shifts just a little as everyone starts vying for the one thing that everyone in the room actually wants. Now, it would be an exaggeration to say that the knives come out, but the family fun gives way to something else. People start eyeing each other nervously. They get distracted, quietly calculating the odds. Even the Chia Pet starts looking anxious. <laughs> Several years ago, uh, an aunt in my wife's family stormed out of the house altogether when someone traded away one of her homemade crafts for a coveted iPod, and no one has seen or heard from her since. <laughs> now, the phrase white elephant has come to refer to anything that uh, costs more than it's worth, anything whose cost exceeds its value. The name derives from the albino elephants of ancient Siam, treasured creatures that were effectively useless. Uh, because of their sacred status, they were forbidden from being used from any kind of labor or profit. And so the cost of their care generally exceeded their value. According to legend, the kings of Siam would give these elephants to anyone who displeased them, saddling the recipient with a terrible burden that would financially ruin them. A white elephant is the perfect metaphor, I think, for those things that we ransom our love for, the things that come between us. It could be a physical object, maybe a gift that breeds jealousy, maybe a family heirloom that leads to a family feud. It could be an ideology, a political loyalty that ruins Thanksgiving every year and drives families apart. It could be a good old-fashioned grudge nurtured over the years until it becomes more precious than forgiveness. But all of these things, they cost us more than they're worth. They're just toys, really, cheap things. And too often we trade what is good and beautiful for cheap baubles and trinkets. 
Friends, when the Christ child was lying in his manger, he wasn't holding court. He wasn't bestowing blessings or curses to those who pleased or displeased him, to whoever was naughty or nice. He wasn't withholding his favor. It wasn't contingent on gold, frankincense, or myrrh, or anything else. He was radiating love. And it wasn't cheap. It was free. The best things in life are. So this Christmas, may we remember that real treasures aren't bought and sold. They are given and received. Love is not a transaction. It's a gift of finer quality than anything we might find under the Christmas tree. I already know what my son would say if I told him that. Great story, Dad. (laughs) But you know what? It really is the greatest story ever told. Merry Christmas. Amen.